The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. James Gorman has led Morgan Stanley as its CEO for the last 14 years, a position he assumed when memories of the global financial crisis were still fresh in investors' minds. He proceeded to remake the firm. And as he exits Morgan Stanley, it is known as much for its asset management business as for its storied investment bank. I sat with him for an exit interview at the firm's headquarters and asked Gorman to reflect on his years of leadership. To lead anything is a privilege. Um, and to be given an opportunity like this during, you know, in, in working life, if you happen to be in business, happen to be in, in financial services, it's an incredible honor. So I guess the, you know, the reflective side of me would say how lucky I've been. Um, you try and, you know, one of our core values on the wall when you came in this morning is do the right thing. You try and do the right thing. You make some mistakes along the way. You get, you get judged in, in these jobs like you do in your job, David, and, and you know that's that's you rise to that. Um, you don't let it you don't let it get to you. Uh, but the main thing I take away is is what a privilege to have led such an incredible institution. Just I'm so proud of the the quality, of the people, the values, the way we got through COVID. I mean, there's so so many moments through it, and we'll talk about some of the business side. Sure. But it's more the the human side and role of leadership. Now, one of the the a lot of people want to be leaders, but they don't want uh, the tough bit that goes with it, which is you get to make decisions and your decisions prove to be right or wrong over time. So the accountability, and that's something I've always sort of risen to. I like being the guy making the call. And if you like that and, in, and you're in position to make calls that can really move institutions, in our case, obviously, Global Bank, uh, you know, incredible privilege of a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, well, you've made plenty of those decisions, and obviously one of the key ones was repositioning sort of the business of Morgan Stanley over these last few years, particularly when it comes to asset management. I mean, is that what people are going to think about when they think about the Gorman era? What do you think they should think when they look back on <laughs> these almost 14 years that you've been leading Morgan Stanley? Um, you know, we came out of the crisis as the, uh, the last institution... Uh, that was about to fail. We, you know, it's like planes. I described it like planes landing at, at Newark Airport, and if you look out over the um, Hudson River from Manhattan, and you can see them on a clear day like today at you know 2,000 feet, 5,000, 15,000, 30,000, then all the way back, uh, you know, up the river, and you know, Bear Stearns landed and sort of crash landed and got scooped up by um, J.P. Morgan. Uh, Lehman landed and just crashed, and they sweep the stuff off the runway. Merrill landed and got scooped up by Bank of America because it was limping down the runway. Uh, you know, GE, um, AIG, uh, AIG and, and so it went. And we were like coming in, we were at 3,000 feet, and there was still debris on the runway. We were leaking oil, and, you know, that, that was the moment. So the, the ship that we, or the plane in that analogy that we, we took over, was a really damaged vehicle, but we managed to land. And with the help of TARP and with the help of obviously our, our large investor, MUFG, 
we brought ourselves out of that immediate crisis zone. But just when we come out of it, we went into another crisis, which was Moody's were going to downgrade us three notches. And over the next two years, we fought this incredibly um, tough battle to convince them that they were looking at us from a historical perspective, not from a current or forward-looking perspective. So it was, as an institution, as I look back on it, it was more just how do you go from uh, survival, fragility, healing, um, you know, balanced, and then strong. And each of those have almost been different jobs along the journey. And right now, we're strong. I mean, wherever the stock is trading, I think it was up this morning, which is kind of nice. Uh, but but there's unambiguously we're strong. So, but there were several different jobs, if you will, along the way that required drawing on different skills and different team members. Yeah. Uh, well, that crisis, of course, did create opportunity as well. One of the key ones being the opportunity to buy Solomon Smith Barney, yeah. transform this company. Right. I mean, you 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 obviously chose at that point to take advantage of it. When you think back, was that sort of the transforming deal to a certain extent of your tenure? Well, if, you know, firstly, just the, the context, and we talked a little bit ago about poker. Uh, I've played poker my whole life, and I love it. And, um, you know, you have to avoid catastrophic risk. You can't go all in when you really don't have the cards. Uh, it's fine to bluff, but it's very dangerous to bluff. On the other hand, when you've got the cards, you get very aggressive. And I felt we had, even though we were weak and fragile as an institution, the fact we could work a deal with Citigroup to get that Smith, Smith Barney business uh, was an extraordinary moment. These things happen, this is a, you know, once in 20 year, something like this comes along and you cannot hesitate. It doesn't matter what the environment's like, it doesn't matter what the naysayers say, it doesn't matter about the whole history around whether Dean Witter worked or didn't work. There was a moment and you walk through the door. So to me, it was all about you be very aggressive when you've got advantages, and we had an advantage and had to move. Coming up on CNBC's Leaders. I just said to the team, listen, my promise to you is we will make this a wealth management business you're proud of, that is fit for purpose for Morgan Stanley. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. 
culturally, I remember there was a lot of questions at the time and there was a lot of tension when you think about how you melded the cultures or what ultimately proved successful in terms of execution. Uh, how do you do that? And how what were the keys sort of along the way? Well, you've got you know, you've got to start with because they were different. Morgan Stanley. I mean, oh, co- completely I mean, different. You know, first of all, Dean Witter was a whole nother thing, sure. that, but very different organizations. No, institutional and, and, and retail, yeah. the combination of those. Merrill Lynch had done it in reverse. They'd had a retail business and then built through Smith Newcourt and, and uh, A.G. Becker, I think it was, and various other, they built the institutional side. Um, you know, I started with a very simple premise, David, which is the, the pure investment bank under the new capital rules uh, that govern trading businesses and the costs of, of running global trading businesses was not a sustainable business model on its own. That was my view for us. I'm not judging others, but for us. And by the way, we kind of proved that in the financial crisis. And the, the market rewarded those businesses with multiples of in, in good years, nine, ten times, in bad years of six, seven times. That's not so good. So the logic, if you're in the business of helping move capital between issuers and investors, between people who have it and people who don't, between sovereign wealth funds and so on, why wouldn't you do that for affluent individuals? It's exactly the same process. You read the same research. You transact it through the same systems. Why wouldn't you do it for the same? So logically, apart from the sort of the emotional bias of, we're institutional, we're not retailer, we're retailer, we're not institution. Put that aside and get back to the fundamentals of what the business actually does. It was obvious to me. So I just said to the team, listen, my promise to you is we will make this a wealth management business you're proud of that is fit for purpose for Morgan Stanley. And one of the first things I did when I took over the wealth management business on, uh, back in 06 was we, we let go 2,000 financial advisors. Right. That had never been done before. You don't fight because they're, it's the, the marginal revenues. Why would you get rid of that? They're on commission. Well, the answer was when we removed them and gave their accounts to better financial advisors, the clients were better served. It lifted the standard to the Morgan Stanley standard. And I said to the institutional team, listen, we can build stability for the institution and get a better multiple on the stock, but I want to make you proud of your partners on the wealth management side and vice versa. And I think that over several years bled through because the performance backed it up. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Smith Barney and obviously that opportunity, which you took advantage of, which doesn't come along that often. And then there was E-Trade and Eaton Vance, smaller, not insignificant deals as well that you did. I just wonder, as you look forward, is there still another one out there that Ted Pick is going to need to make a decision on, perhaps, that's sort of been there for some time? Or, or is Morgan Stanley, in your opinion, kind of complete well, I'll just tell you a fun little fact. We spent much more on E-Trade than we did on Smith Barney. Right. And we spent nearly as much on Eaton Vance as we did on Smith Barney. I mean, it's shocking, but that was the reality. Um, no, there are always opportunities. I think Ted has a whole plate full of things to do. I mean, one of the things I, you know, if I stayed another, I don't know, five years. Did you think about staying another five years? No, no. I, I, and I'll come back to how I think about succession in a minute, but the... Um, I think that we are more likely to do more non-US. We've been very long the US. All the deals we've done have been US-based. Now, that served us incredibly well. And by the way, if you want to be long one market in the world, I'm, all, I'm USA, you know, team number one. But you have to be aware that the world changes. There are opportunities that are opening up. What's going on in India at the moment is fascinating. The sort of a reincarnation in Japan for the first time in 40 years is fascinating. 
So you've got to be mindful of global opportunities. So I think we'll do more deals in the next, we'll certainly do deals uh, as we continue to consolidate wealth and asset management around the world. But there, there will be more of them, I suspect, done, I would predict, internationally than U.S. When you think about challenges that your successor is going to face, anything come to mind in particular? You know, it's, it's not idiosyncratic, uh, as in we don't have, I mean, there are some things I'm trying to clean up before I formally hand over. You don't have a lot of days left, you know that, right? Yeah, well, I'm working hard. <laughs> I tell you, I was working until, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something last night. Um, uh, I want to run through the finish line here. You know, it's like uh, when Kobe Bryant said when they, when they were two up in the, you know, in the playoffs and they said, you must be feeling pretty good. And he said, job's not done. Job's not done. Job's done when you're finished. Right. And, uh, you know, so I'm, uh, no, I think, I think the... Um, what TED has is an incredible institution with a great culture, but you can't take it for granted. Wall Street is littered with great firms that didn't do well over time. He's got a phenomenal team. He's a tremendous leader, uh, wicked smart. He, he has a markets background, which honestly I didn't have. I came from a very different kind of background. Um, but he has the intrinsic qualities of what it's going to take to lead this institution. So idiosyncratic problems he's got to deal with here? No, I think, I mean, there's usual run-of-the-mill stuff, but no, not that. It's more in this world over the next decade, how do we now take the strengths of a strong institution and capitalize on that? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so many things have obviously changed during your tenure, but in recent years, uh, and I've talked about this a good amount, the growth of of the alternative asset managers, what used to be the private equity guys and are now just asset gatherers and all sorts of different strategies. I'm just curious, do you see them as a competitor? I know they're also obviously important clients, but their growth has been so dramatic. You know, Blackstone has a trillion dollars now in assets. Um, What do they represent in terms of the changes in the financial services industry and challenges? Well, one is the democratization of alternative investments, which we've led as the leading distributor in the world. You know, we manage over $4 trillion. And many years ago, I remember, I won't mention the name, uh, meeting with the head of one of the firms and several of their partners here in our office in our dining room and explaining the opportunity to provide their product to the affluent investor who, for whom a part of their portfolio should have credit infrastructure, PE, uh, MES, uh, real estate, you name it. Yeah. And I think what, you know, I wrote a, a, one of the only papers I've written in my life when I was a consultant back in the 90s on... I felt we were moving to a world where distributors, places like the Morgan Stanley Wealth Management business, would become very large and consolidate. That's exactly what's happened. You know, we own A.G. Edwards, um, uh, I'm sorry, Wells Fargo owns A.G. Edwards, Prudential, Wheat First, First Union. We own Kidder, Hutton, Smith Barney, Shearson, uh, you know, uh, Dean Witter, Reynolds and Company, etc. Huge consolidation. On On the asset management side, you're seeing huge consolidation. You know, the, the recent Franklin Leg transaction, as an example, what Marty Flanagan did in Invesco, rolling up as an example. And in the alt space, the bigger getting bigger. The pure, there will always be pure players in real estate and PE in particular, but then there'll be mass players across multiple platforms, which uh, Blackstone and others have successfully done. So I'm not surprised at all. Coming up. I just joined the board of Disney. The challenge is to set up the conditions where the board has choices with talented candidates um, who are properly vetted for all the stresses these jobs have.
let's talk a bit about you. I, you know, you mentioned poker. What, what, what are you going to do that you haven't been able to do once you walk out that door and you're no longer CEO a few days from now? You know, I was a kid in Australia. We were, uh, you know, early high school. We had a group of guys and we played um, Texas Hold'em back when it was in Binion's Casino in, uh, in Vegas and it was probably 200 players played in the World Series. There's now, I don't know, 10, 15,000 players. Uh, we played all night and somebody had to buy the pizza and the beer. I guess we must have been 18. Couldn't have been, <laughs> couldn't have been right. younger. That was before you came here uh, to the States and Columbia. I, you know, I, I, so yeah, I'll go and play World Series of Poker when I'm out of these jobs. I'd never do it, never play in a casino, you know, cash games, obviously running a bank. Uh, but no, f- fun stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm getting more involved at Columbia University where I chair the business school. Um, and I'd like to teach a little bit. And I just joined um, uh, the board of Disney, uh, which you obviously know very well. I do. Which will bring me a little bit to the West Coast and, and change up my life a bit. And for the next year, I'll spend just helping Ted and, and helping Morgan Stanley clients. I mean, yeah. I want to be a client guy for you. It's going to be fun. I haven't done this. I used to be a client guy. You know, people don't know that. But that was my, my thing. And I'm looking forward to getting back to that. And then post that, I, I don't know. It's, and it's nice to not know for a while what you're going to do for once in your life. Why did you decide to remain executive chairman? I mean, you could have just cut all ties. Well, I think it, it depends how you play the role, right? It's a title. And some people, um, you know, play the role where they split formally responsibilities. I'll deal with regulators, investors, and strategy, and you deal with operations. My answer to that is no, that's called being COO, not CEO, and CEO, not chairman. So what I want to do is just ensure for a period of time, and it it won't be longer than 12 months. I've been absolutely rock solid on that, and it might be a little shorter, but it doesn't really matter. It'll be most, if not all, the year. Um, Just be here to ensure uh, that I can give whatever support I can give to Ted as he deals with a completely new environment. These are very complex jobs now. We're heavily regulated. We operate in all parts of the world. Uh, We're dealing with a change in the capital regime now. So there's so much going on. So I want to help him with that. But then I'm out of there. Um, You mentioned Disney, you know, uh, and I've obviously followed that company for years. They haven't done a great job at succession at that company. I don't know if you knew that. It hasn't gone particularly well. Um, You are just coming off a succession uh, process. What, to the extent, is going to inform you trying to help succession at Disney, which is going to become an important component of your board work there that you've learned from this process? Well, they're forming a succession committee, which I'll be joining, so I'll be able to You know, this has been the the sorts of things I've done in this job is strategic transformation, uh, obviously dealt with shareholders at many levels, including activists, Um, succession talent building. So some of the challenges that I have, I hope, you know, I can lend some of my experience on it. I don't want to prejudge, you know, the succession process. That wouldn't be fair to the team. I haven't I don't start as a director until February. Right. But. Yeah, right in the middle of a potential proxy fight, by the way. That's all right. You know, we, we, I've had a lot of battles in my life. That doesn't bother me one little bit. Um, I think the, you know, the challenge is to set up the conditions where the board has choices with talented candidates um, who are properly vetted for all the stresses these jobs have. I'm, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not on the board, so I have no, no wisdom or insight into it, but I have an enormous amount of experience having run succession here with our board. And I think we landed the plane really well with three great candidates and then one of whom became CEO and two stayed as co-presidents. Yeah, that's the surprising part, I think, for some, that the two stayed. I mean, 
you know, we set it up that way. They're great people. This is something I worked on for five years uh, with Dennis Nally, the chair of our Comp Succession Committee, and Tom Glosser, the lead director on the board. And, and you know, in my first board meeting, January 2010, uh, I told the then lead director, uh, Bob Kiddo, uh, we talked about succession right then. So this is something that I've regarded as a key part of the job from the get-go. And you made that decision last spring. I mean, you just said, I'm done, or it's, you know, four, roughly 14 years. Why? Why was it time? Um, firstly, the, a necessary condition of succession is you have to want to leave the job. You don't decide to go because you're 65, I happen to be, or you've been CEO more than 10 years, I happen to be, or the stock's doing pretty well, which happily it is, or, or whatever, or I want to play more golf. I do, but not like five days a week. <laughs> you have to do it because you actually don't want to do the job anymore and you want to do other things in your life. If you can make that decision, then I had no problem being public about it. Now, some people criticized that and said, you're going to set up a horse race and like the old GE thing that happened with Jack Welch. I said, that's ridiculous. You can't analogize from one situation and say that will happen here. I was comfortable in the quality uh, of the individuals. But 14 years running a global bank, for me, I'm not judging others, but for me, Others being Jamie Dimon? No, I'm not. listen, ja Jamie's a phenomenal bank executive. I think he's the best bank executive in the world, honestly, and I've, I've seen them all. Um, and, you know, but I care about Morgan Stanley and my role at Morgan Stanley. And it was, it was my decision that I'd had enough and it's healthy for an organization to innovate and move on. Uh, real quick, let's go through a couple here as we wrap up. Um, what are you going to miss the most? You can't say the people. So something other than the people, which I'm sure you will miss the most. What will you miss most about the job? Oh, making big calls. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, lo I loved walking in and saying to John Prusan, uh, the day Ameritrade and Schwab merged, I said, you know what we're going to do today? He said, what? I said, we're buying E-Trade. He said, what do you mean? You know, pricing commission's gone to zero. I said, no, you're missing the point. This, this is the ultimate scale moment. And the two players who should have bought E-Trade didn't. What are you going to miss the least? Um, the relentlessness of it. I described it once as like standing on watching the ocean from the beach. I remember asking my dad why the waves never stop. And this job, the waves never stop. It can be three in the morning, something is going on somewhere in the world. I always have an email box. I always have people bringing me bad news. Um, and I'm okay with that. It's part of the job. But it'd be nice every now and for, for it to just stop for a while. So this is a particularly intense, I just flew back last night uh, from Europe. It's, it's a very intense job. And you know, there's a lot of ways to lead your life. You don't have to always lead them in a state of incredible intensity. This has been a special presentation of CNBC's Leaders with Morgan Stanley CEO, James Gorman. From New York City, I'm David Faber. Thanks for watching. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.